0: Take us with you. Download HIV Care Tools today.
1: Welcome to Nika in the Know, a podcast for healthcare providers in the HIV field. I'm Mariana Bratman. Today, I'm sitting down with John Farragon to talk about some recent data on cases of MPOX popping up again. Welcome again, John.
2: Yeah, thanks, Mariana. Happy to be here.
1: So, John, what has been happening with MPOX recently in the United States?
2: Yeah, so just by way of background, I think um, many of us were kind of aware of this MPOX outbreak um, last year. But most of us, I think, would, would agree that many, many places didn't see a, a huge number of cases. But I think the major cities did. You know, certainly us, us in upstate New York, who didn't have much happening here, but down the city was much worse. So in the U.S., the cases of MPOX um. really been declining uh since peaking in august of 2022 but the the outbreak is certainly not over this this is kind of a a nice highlight of this uh, simple fact so the cdc um, continues to receive reports of cases um, that are really reflecting some of the ongoing community transmission that's happening both in the united states and also internationally which is important Um, there's a cluster that the cdc has been investigating of cases in the Chicago area. And this happened, occurred roughly between April 17th till early May of 2023. So April 17th and like May 5th of 2023. And at that point, a total of 12 confirmed cases and one probable were reported to the Chicago Department of Public Health. So obviously when this happens, the CDC works really closely with the departments of health to make sure all the data is collected correctly and everything. Um, but just a couple things. All these cases were, were among symptomatic uh, men uh, and no one was hop- hospitalized. That's the most important piece is that none were hospitalized. And if you look at those 13 cases, one of them probable, nine or 69% of those were among people who had received both of these um, of this Gineos vaccine uh, doses. So confirmed cases were, were in nine non-Hispanic white men, uh, two were non-Hispanic black men, and then two were in Asian men. Um, so, so roughly, you know, um, mostly, mostly white men, at least in this cluster of what, what we saw so far. But again, no no hospitalizations so far. Um, the median age was 34, with a range of 24 to 46. Um, while all cases were reported in Chicago, an important part point about this, Mariana, is the fact that travel history was identified um, in in nine cases. Four had recently traveled um, to New York City, New Orleans, and Mexico. So, so really. Well, the important piece here is that, you know, although the cases are identified in Chicago, you always have to worry about where did they actually contract mpox? Did Do they get into in New Orleans, New York City, or Mexico? Or is that just a kind of a precursor? Will there be more cases in those areas? You can't really say that for sure, but know that travel history is also really important here. Uh, and a little bit further on, as of May 10th uh, of 2023, a total of uh, just over 30,396 cases have been reported in the United States. And um, the, the peak was about 460 cases per day in August of 2022, and gradually this has, has declined. So likely this is a combination of both both changes in sexual behavior, which was encouraged at the time. But I think, I think uh, new, York, new York City and a lot of the major cities did a great job with vaccination uh, and also um, some of the infection-induced immunity, too, that probably occurred from people being exposed. But the CDC continues to receive reports of new cases clusters in the united states and internationally uh, of, of mpox so this certainly is not it's not going away
1: so what can you tell us about mpox vaccination and how we're doing right now in the u.s
2: yeah so that's an important point right because you know clearly you want to get people vaccinated and this is a two-shot vaccine you know 28 days apart and we know so far that this vaccine-induced immunity is not complete um, because vaccination continues to be one of the most important prevention measures but in the cases from chicago as an example um some of those cases did occur even in people who were fully vaccinated but it's important again to note that no one has really been hospitalized in this cluster today and most have had mild symptoms and i i don't want to i don't want to compare this to covid but there are some similarities right so this vaccination but people get infected but they don't have severe disease right and then maybe there's some similarities here where even with the uh with the vaccination it's going to kind of uh, Stave off hopefully any any severe disease, but will hopefully um, uh, prevent severe disease for patients if you are vaccinated. So I don't want people to come away thinking that this is not uh, that that the that the vaccinations that we're using are not effective from us because they really are. and I'll, and I'll sh- share that in a second. But um, you know, really, it's important to note that no one really has been hospitalized in most of the mild symptoms. So w- within the data set, um, there's some data that was recently published from from New York City, and if you if you read the MMWR. Uh, which is the uh, morbidity morbid mortality weekly report, which is really a good place to look at for some of this stuff. There's a great study from New York City that really looked at real world vaccine e- effectiveness uh, for the, for this jinnios vaccine against MPOX, and it was 75% for one dose and 86% for two doses. So, so even even those people, Mariana, that just got one dose, 75% you know protection versus 86%. So this indicates really substantial um, activity against uh, against MPOX irrespective of the route of administration or whether or not you're immunocompromised. So bottom line, the vaccination works. However, approximately 1.2 million MPOX vaccine doses have been administered in the United States since the beginning of the outbreak. But the scarier number is that only 23% of those people at risk have been fully vaccinated. And as expected, this vaccine coverage does vary widely amongst jurisdictions. So the bottom line is if you are in a place where you can get the vaccine, I I would contact your local health department. It's probably the most important place to go. Um, you know, and see if you can get the vaccine. It's really important that you do that. So the projected risk of resurgent mpox outbreaks is probably greater than 35% in most jurisdictions in the U.S. Without additional vaccination or adapting sexual behavior to prevent the spread of mpox. So this resurgent outbreaks, I think, in these communities could be as large as what we saw in 22, or potentially even larger as well. And now with the summer season upon us, you know, we're looking at early June now. Um, you know, this uh this this really could, could lead to a resurgence. So I think that's really the big concern is what's going to happen uh in, in the summer months, especially um, you know, as we get into to late June, July, and August for 2023.
1: Right. So what can we do in terms of preventing a renewed outbreak?
2: Yeah. So I think simply right, really, I think urgent clinicians to be on alert for for new cases of MPOX and encourage vaccination for those people at risk. If if you were if you're listening or if you're if you're a, um, a patient, potentially, uh, or a client who, you know, who, who uh, especially for, for those who are men who are having sex with other men, really, clearly, you need you need to be vaccinated. Uh, and if mpox is suspected, if you, even if you're not vaccinated, you want to make sure we're testing the patients, right, um, that, that even if they were previously vaccinated or had mpox. So don't don't think that because they're vaccinated that this isn't mpox. So that's not always true either. Clinicians really should be refamiliarizing them with the MPOX symptoms, the specimen collection, some of the lab test procedures. And again, you know, us and where I am, we didn't see a lot of this, but I'm sure if you're in the city, in New York, or in other major major centers, you probably saw more, much more of this than, than we did. But for clinicians, really remember to conduct a thorough patient history, to assess uh, possible MPOX exposures, uh, epidemiologic risk factors as well. And, and I think most of us are realizing this, but MPOX is really transmitted through close, sustained physical contact and it's been almost exclusively associated um with sexual contact in in the current global outbreak so it's important to take really detailed sexual histories if 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 people are suspected impacts and also i think if it's possible even to do some um some tracing of uh of contacts to make sure that other people are identified as well um recall that we do have Ticoviramat, which is uh consider the first line uh, among options that have not been approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, but it is it is available uh, for, for people to treat uh, eligible patients with Mpox. Most places that had uh, had had to deal with Mpox or were concerned about having to deal with it have set up um, uh, protocols or have gotten gotten the medication either from 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 their Department of Health locally or from CDC uh, under those INDs that, that have been created that, that were kind of streamlined uh, last year. But if, it, but if a clinician intends to prescribe the ticovirumat, consider seeking access also through enrollment. And in a very important study is the ACTG, which is the uh, AIDS control trial group, the STOMP trial, so that we can really determine efficacy of this drug. If you know that there's really no data um, on efficacy for, for ticovirumat, and the STOMP trial is really trying to systematically do this. So this trial includes a placebo-controlled randomized arm, and also an open label option for individuals with severe disease or for those who decline randomization. There's also an arm for people who are immunocompromised. And also, uh, we, we know some of, the, uh, some of the centers that actually are involved with the site. There's also an availability of getting enrolled remotely uh, and med- having medication shipped to patients. I think they do it online. You actually talk to them, you do like a televisit, tele- and, and they can actually get you enrolled into the study. So I encourage clinicians that out there are listening today. Who may have patients who want to use uh, oral ticoviramet to really consider uh, enrollment in this ACT uh, this ACTG STOMP study um, to make sure that we can actually get some good data on ticoviramet and actually some have some randomized data. I think that's important.
1: Can you talk a little bit about the vaccination schedule and who should get it for MPOX?
2: Yeah. So you know, again, I don't I don't think we've talked about this in a while. Um, I know uh, Dr. Glesby did a did an episode on this once uh, in the summer last year, but uh, this this GenoS vaccine is given as a as post exposure prophylaxis, so both to people with known or presumed exposure to the mpox virus, but it can also be given to people with risk factors that may make them more likely to um, have been exposed to mpox. So, as post exposure prophylaxis vaccine should be given as soon as possible, ideally within four days of exposure. However, administration four to fourteen days after exposure can still provide. Some level of protection. So, what's interesting about this is that this is a vaccination that you can actually use after somebody's been exposed. So, you want to make sure that if you have someone in your clinic and you think they've been exposed and they have a positive Mpox test, you can actually give them the vaccine. Uh, people who are vaccinated should really continue to avoid close skin to, to skin contact with someone who has Mpox. And then the vaccine usually involves two vaccine doses that are given 28 days apart. So um, so after that, Mariana, the peak immunity is usually 14 days after the second dose. That's when you get your best benefits. So you get your first dose, another dose of 28. 14 days after that is when you really see your peak for, um, for, for immunity. And people who have previously received only one vaccine dose, this is an important piece, are encouraged to receive that second dose as soon as possible. You don't repeat the series, you just give people that second shot. So those of you who are out there who may have only given one shot to a patient, Maybe you want to go back into your records and say, these are the people who only got one shot. Let's give them a second dose. Now, based on the New York City data, you know, it's not a huge difference, but it was 75% And after the second dose, it was 86% protection. So it really does give you additional immunity by having that second dose. So I encourage you, if you if you haven't gotten the second dose, to make sure you, you do that. Um, and then duration of immunity after one or two doses is really unknown at this point. Um, so a couple other things too, the, the CDC does not recommend routine immunization. So we're not re- recommending MPOX for everybody in the general public. Vaccination really should be offered to the following. These are the potential high-risk people. When I say high-risk, that's kind of a difficult term to use too, but high potential for exposure to MPOX, I guess is a better way to kind of say it. But obviously people who, um, who, uh, who had known or suspected exposure to some of MPOX, people who have a sex partner in the past two weeks who was diagnosed with MPOX, anyone who is gay, bisexual, or um, men having sex with men, or transgender or non-binary people, including adolescents who fall into some of these categories. And especially in the past six months, if you've had a new diagnosis of uh, chlamydia, gonorrhea, or syphilis, or more than one sex partner. Um, People who've had any of the following in the past six months, if you had sex at a commercial sex venue, sex in an association with a large public event in a geographic area where MPOX transmission is occurring, uh, really sex in exchange for money or other items. So again, typical of I think of what we would expect to um, uh, expect to have higher risk of, of mpox in certain populations, right? Um, and people who are sex partners of people with any of those above risk, people who anticipate experiencing any above scenarios, make sure you get vaccinated before you um, be, before you before you um, you know are involved with those those scenarios. Um, people with HIV infection, or other causes of immunosuppression who have had recent or anticipated potential LN-pox exposure. And then, of course, people who actually work in some of the settings where they might be exposed to LEMPOX, including people who work with orthopox uh, viruses in, in a laboratory. So again, kind of a kind of a kind of a long list of, 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 um, of potential candidates on who should get the vaccine. But at the end of the day, Marianne, I think anybody who um, is a men having sex with men or at risk um, through sexual contact. Again, it's not sexually transmitted, but it's the it's the person-to-person contact that occurs during sexual activity that really seems to be transmitting this. So, it really, is the skin-to-skin contact. All right, so be just be aware of that, uh, and, and then obviously, anybody who's had recent STIs should really make sure they consider getting uh, getting vaccinated with with this with this, uh, this two dose vaccine.
1: John, as we begin to wrap up, what else do listeners need to know, especially as it relates to MPOX and people with HIV?
2: Yeah, so I think an uh, important piece is that, um, again, as it relates to to the persons with HIV, I think there's a couple of important pieces, and I want to be sure everybody's aware of this. There's some really good data from, M- from MPOX and Croy 2023. We reviewed this in detail. I think it was in our third episode of the Croy updates, um, but this was also published recently in the Lancet. Really showed high mortality for people with CD4 counts of less than 200 who had mpox, and so this is really a concern for people who are not identified as having HIV or patients who are identified as 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 um, as, as living with HIV but but possibly um, not on therapy, and their T cells have fallen less than 200. Or they haven't reconstituted the immune system. If your T cells are less than 200, 15 percent. Um, if less than 200, 27 percent. If less than 100. 100. The overall mortality for those patients uh, with CD4 counts of less than 350 was 25. percent But again, if you look at under 100, 100, it's 27. If you look at even under 200, it's 15. So again, really high numbers of mortality. These are patients dying from MPOX related um, uh, related syndromes that I think are really important for us to be aware of as it relates to our our, our persons living with HIV. And some also experience this immune reconstitution syndrome. Um, if they started on air, on air therapy, and of those patients, there were 21 of them, 12 out of 21 of those died, died. So 57% mortality in that small number of patients. So again, this is only a, I think it was a 320 patient study, but um, you know, about 25% of those patients, 100 or a little over 100 of those were actually hospitalized for MPOX. And those are people overall who had T cells less than 350. But the people who did the worst from, at least from a mortality standpoint, which again, is their Obviously, you know, a hard, hard number of patients dying. Um, uh, it, w- it was pretty bad if, if you're, if you either you restarted antiretrovirals in that first couple of week period, of having Mpox, or if you had had low T cells, and um, uh, especially those patients who had T cells less than 200 or less than 100, really even worse. So just be aware of this, I think of that, you know, I think we should probably be thinking of uh, Mpox uh, infection in, in the setting of somebody who, who was who living with HIV to, you know, if they have no CD4, or low CD4 count. To make sure we're doing the right thing for them and maybe potentially withholding therapy uh if you're going to restart or not starting therapy if they're less because of the iris risk and also for those people who who, um, who are not on therapy and you don't have mpox now today you know obviously making sure that patients are, are undetectable and have the highest t-cell counts they can by taking their therapy every day to, to potentially avoid some of these really bad um, sequelae of of mpox i think that's the important piece that of of, of that piece of data that I just want to put out there uh, for providers who might be dealing with this.
1: John, thanks so much for joining us and telling us all about MPOX and how we can help prevent the spread of this virus. We really hope you learned something new today. To learn more about Nika AATC's work and our role in ending the HIV epidemic, visit us at www.nicaatc.org. That's www.necaaetc.org. If you have questions or comments about anything we covered today, or if you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear us talk about, don't hesitate to email us at podcast at nikaaetc.org. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at nikaaetc.org. Stay safe, and we'll see you on Thursday for our next episode of Nika in the Know.